You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So we are right, right up to the Shavuot, Shavuot's holiday. And we've been working on all the different ways of acquiring what it takes to acquire Torah knowledge. We said a lot of these ideas are for really all kinds of knowledge. Um, I think by the end of the show, we'll be like two-fifths of the way through. I think I'm going to get through like number 22. There's 48 of them. And we couldn't get through all, but we certainly um, will try our best. So this show, we're going we're gonna, to, again, work on all these different ideas we've been talking about of what a person needs to become, needs to do, needs to act, how he can act to get ready for the Shavuot's holiday. Once we're talking about Shavuot, it is fascinating. Um, what happens is, in, in certainly where, where I hang out, uh, certainly with Talmudical uh, students, they will spend the night of the Shavuot holiday studying. So all night long they're studying. Now it is interesting if you think about it, where I pray. Okay, so I'm the holiday has you had to count 49 days from the second day of Passover. And after 49 days from the second day of Passover, the next day or day 50 becomes the Shavuot holiday. Now, you need a full 49 days. So you can't start the holiday early in the afternoon. It's got to be dark. So you can say 49 days have fully passed. It is now day 50 before you start the evening prayer. So for those of us lucky enough to live in the Detroit area, and we are way at the end of the time zone, so the evening prayer for me will start approximately at 10, 18 at night. By the time we finish prayers, by the time we get home, then we sit down for a holiday meal, by the time we finish eating, it's 12.30, and I have fast meals. 12 o'clock, 12.30. Some people finish at 1. By the time you go study, it's, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Three and a half, four hours later, you're already praying. So it's not such a long night. It's long because you're staying up, and you're tired, and the next morning by prayers, you're so tired, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wouldn't I learn more? If I had a good night's sleep and I prayed normal the next morning, so I'm up for prayers and I can study properly. So first you have to decide, would you really do the extra studying? Or would it be a good excuse to to wake up at 8, 30, 9 o'clock on a regular holiday morning and then go to prayer and then come home and eat and then take a nap and then the day is over? So I'm not convinced you actually would have studied more. No idea, but the famous reason brought down why we stay up is because, interesting enough, the Jewish people, the night 
before they were going to receive the Torah from God, they were sleeping. As a matter of fact, the Medrash says everybody slept late, which is amazing because there's always kids waking up people. The whole nation slept late, and Moses brings the whole nation to Mount Sinai, and God is waiting. Acts comes out to greet us, uh, but God is waiting for us. So almost a way to correct this mistake. We stay up all night, some joke, and say, God, what do you want? You see what happens when we stay up all night, uh, how our brains are working the next morning? It wasn't so bad that we slept. But jokes aside, um, the fact is it is a very famous custom been around forever. Uh, they talk about the, uh, the great Arizal, that he, uh, that he even saw, like, I think, Elijah or something by staying up that whole night with a group of people studying. It may have been the base safe. I don't remember. Um, in any case, so let's dive in to a few more of these 48 ways. So here's one for you. The Mishnah says limited business, meaning you can't, you know, live, eat, sleep business and then expect to study Torah. There's just no way. If your life is your job, then why would you believe that you could also acquire Torah? You, you can't, you know, that's what they say, jack of all trades, right? But I think about it all the time with some of the jobs I do. I do a lot of different things. But when do you become the expert? If you're forever doing everything, then what do you get good at? So you could live your business. We had stories we talked about uh, in the past about uh, um, different uh, rabbis went to visit businessmen, and the businessmen would explain to them how they lived and breathed their business. And the rabbis came back to the students and said, if we studied Torah like they did business, we would all be superstars. Right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna live your business, let's be fair. You can't expect to also become a Talmudic scholar or a scholar in anything for that price. You just can't. Normal people, I'm not saying there's no one that can't, but normal people are not becoming expert in Talmudics if you're busy living your business. Of course you have to sleep. Of course you have to earn a living. Of course you have to do a lot of things, but what is my focus? What is my goal? What am I looking for? Okay. Um, you know, by the way, included in that, the great King David would uh, wake up at 12 o'clock at night. I don't know when he went to sleep. He didn't sleep long, right? But by 12 o'clock, he's up studying already, right? You're going to have to, what the businessman is willing to do to succeed in his business, if you want to acquire Torah knowledge, you got to be willing to sacrifice. Wake up a little earlier, maybe go to sleep a little later, um, find spaces in time there was a there's a great story um, there was a guy had a business who worked and he realized life was moving on and all he did was work so he decided that's it I gotta do some Torah study so I use him in my in my store by 8 o'clock in the morning that's it I'm not showing up till 10 I'm done so the next morning after prayers um, sits down, opens up a uh, Talmud, and he starts studying. Now his wife worked with him in the store, but she needed her husband to run the business. And she's uh, working, and she can't understand where her husband is. Finally, 10 o'clock, loads of customers waiting for them. The husband finally shows up. 
Well, he says, where were you? Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I was late. No problem. Happens the next day again. And again, the wife is there trying to figure out how to run the business, and the husband's not showing up. Two hours later, the husband walks in, all happy, all smiley, says, where were you? Yeah, yeah, I was busy. Three days in a row, the wife knows something's going on over here. So she starts asking people, oh, yeah, your husband, he's uh, doing Torah. He's uh, studying in the synagogue. He says, what? She sends a message. You get over here. You got to run the business. You can't be studying Torah now. So the husband sends back the following message. From 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, I am dead. I am not alive. If I would be dead, you would have to run the business on your own. Miracle of miracles, God brings me back to life at 10 o'clock, and I can work the business. But from 8 o'clock till 10 o'clock in the morning, I am dead. And you'll have to figure it out. I am not working from 8 to 10. I got to study some Torah. That's uh, this concept, right? Limited business. You want to study Torah or anything else for that matter, you're going to have to find a way to do it. Okay, let's get into the next one. Next one is called limited speech. Speech is a gift, right? The fact that we talk, animals do not talk, and they make noises, they communicate, they don't have language. Only humans have language. By the way, our, the, the ability to speak is actually because we have a soul. Because we have a neshama, we have a soul, we have the ability to speak, which is why speech is so powerful, which is why when somebody slanders, somebody says lush and horror, somebody um, speaks not nicely, it's bad. God doesn't like it. It's very bad because your whole power to speak is a spiritual ability. And therefore, on the flip side, of course, when you use your speech for good things, you study Torah, you say a nice word, you uh, help somebody feel better, you give somebody good advice, right? When you use your speech properly, so your speech has power, right? And so first of all, we shouldn't be wasting time just with, as we say, idle chatter, right? We got to recognize um, this gift of speech. And then the next thing we need to understand when it comes to speech, when we say limited speech, we mean like this. We mean that, and as a teacher, it's one of the things I try to do. Certainly on this show, I try to do it as often as possible. I study with the many people. When you have the ability to explain something clearly, not to take 20 minutes to explain something that should take a minute and a half. Like, I know there are certain topics that I'll talk about. And a minute or two into the topic, so I explained it already. It's all clear. Either you understood or you didn't understand. Stretching it out for 20 minutes to waste time is not the way to teach. The way to teach is to be clear and concise. Here's the topic. Here's the concept. Yes. Sometimes I need to hear it two or three times to understand what was said. That's why it's always good a lot of these podcasts have uh, buttons you can go back and re-listen to a concept. But if the concept is said clearly, okay, so you need to hear it more than once. I got that. We repeat it. We say it again. But the goal is to say it clear. So use, you know, be careful with your words. You're not just talking and blabbering to get a point across. 
make it clear. I teach third graders. If I can't answer their question, you know, in a very brief type of answer, if it's going to take me 12 minutes to answer their question, I am not giving that answer. When they ask me certain questions, I'll say, you know, that's a great question. I would love to answer you. It's too complicated. I had a few times today. It's just too complicated. Now, sometimes they'll tell a story. A story could take a few minutes to tell, so they enjoy the story. They're listening to the story. And then I can use the point of the story to bring home the point that I wanted to teach them. But most answers need to be very clear and concise. The brain is opened up to it. The brain understands it. And by the way, if you can explain something clearly, that means you understand it. And I had my son last night. It's very interesting. We happen to be working on, um, he's been studying Mishnah with me for years already. And we have now gotten to the sixth um, group, I guess we'll call it. It's a Seder, the sixth order. And it's all about purity and impurity. It's a lot of stuff that he's not familiar with because it's sort of off the beaten track of topics. We always touch on it because it comes up occasionally. So we're not pressured. First of all, it's almost summertime. And we're not pressured to study and get a bunch of points because we're past the point system in the season for prizes when they study certain things. So we're, we're going to take our time. And if, I, if we can get it clear the first time around, each time we get it to a new subject, we get it clear as that subject keeps coming up, so life is beautiful. I got it clear in my head. I understand that works. But if it was never clear the first time, then I don't got nothing. Right? And that's, by the way, when it was study partners. Right? You find in Jewish schools, we always break the children up. Or even as adults, they, they have study times. They have partners they study with. So certainly in high school. So a smart boy will say, why do you want me to study with this guy? He's weak. He will hold me back. So the truth is he will not hold you back. And the reason he won't hold you back is because you need to say over things clearly to this weaker study partner. The fact that you can say it clear means you understand it. Okay, great. Next, moving along. Um, the next one is actually limited laughter. Now, don't get me wrong. Laughter has its place. There is a, a time and place, right? There's a time to laugh. But it can't take over everything. Even in my own class, I allow the children to laugh. But when they're going to get silly and try to be rolling in laughter for a minute and a half every time I say something, we're not getting anything done. It is interesting. There's a famous um, Talmud where there's a, an Amiro who's walking down the street with Elijah the prophet. And they're looking around the market, and this Amiro says, Do, is anybody in this market gonna earn the you know, do they have a place in the world to come? So Lai says, Yeah, those two guys over there. Okay, they look like regular guys. So the Amora goes over to them later and says, uh, what do you guys do for a living? Oh, we make people laugh. We're clowns. When we see someone who's depressed or unhappy, we cheer the person up. So the Amora said, Oh, now I understand. I was walking with Elijah and he says that uh, that you guys have a place, a share in the world to come. I didn't understand what you do that's so special. Now I understand that you want to make people happy. So you're using laughter and, 
and 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 just enjoyment and entertainment to lift people up. That's a great thing. So there's definitely a place for laughter. Even the great Rava, who ran one of the big Talmudic schools in Babylonia, he would start a lesson with a joke just to get people uh, awake, alive, paying attention. Once you're paying attention, now we focus. Um, they explain, by the way, it's like yeast, right? Yeast, you need yeast to make the dough rise. And when you have the dough rising, now the dough is beautiful and tasty and you have challah and you have bread, it's beautiful. But too much yeast will spoil the dough. And that's the same thing. Too much laughter lacks good taste. And and once you lack the good taste, now you don't have your, your, your Torah study. At the end of the day, when I'm studying Torah... I have to be in a serious mindset. It's God's talking to me. It's God's language. So I can't be silly. But I can laugh once in a while to be in a good mood. In other words, we want a person to be happy. We want a person to be in a good mood. We don't want a person to be depressed. But now that I'm in a good mood, now now study. So to acquire Torah, I need what we call limited laughter. Okay, let's keep going because uh, I know my time is limited. Patience. Patience is a great one, especially because I'm a teacher. You have to be patient. The teacher needs to be patient, and the student needs to be patient. Sometimes I'm studying with my children, and they get frustrated. Why are they frustrated? Because they didn't understand it the first time I said it. And then I tried a different track, and they still didn't understand it. And I tried it again, and I'm trying to discover why they're not understanding, or any student that I have for that matter. So when I had patience, so it didn't go into my brain for whatever reason, I didn't connect, so I work on it again and try it again and say it a different way. So when there's patience, when there's patience, so the students will eventually figure it out. If you must understand everything the first time you hear it, so you're not create a study. Obviously, the goal is to work on stuff that's deeper and deeper and, and more difficult, no matter what you're studying, right? One plus one gets boring after a while, right? But I need the patience in the higher math, in the higher science, or in Torah, right? I need the patience to understand a deeper concept. And if I don't have the patience, then I'm going to always be on a lower level. So the student needs patience, but by the way, so does the parent, so does the teacher, so does the tutor. You must have patience because, yes, you're the teacher. Of course you understand it. You're more mature. Your brain is more developed. You figured all these things out. You spend time. I I tell my children or students, I've learned this a hundred times, maybe 200 times, maybe 20 times. But I've learned it enough that it's very clear in my brain. And here you are, younger, less developed brain. How can I expect you to understand what to me is so simple? That's ridiculous. So, so both teacher and student need tremendous patience. The more patience, the more ability you have to figure it out. Now, it doesn't mean that the student could be lazy and not put in any effort, and therefore I'm supposed to have patience. No, I don't have to have patience when you're lazy. I have to have patience when you're trying. I have to have patience when I'm trying. 
I sit by my table, you know, 6.15, 6.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. That's my favorite uh, private study time. And read, read, read the part of the Talmud once. Didn't go so good. Read it again. Read it again. Come back to it later. Sometimes you need just more effort and more patience. What are you going to do? going to give up? You give up. So, so now what? What I get? I got it, ha- as we say, I got it half-baked. I'm going to come back to it a week later, and I'm going to say, did you actually study this? You know, sometimes, um, as we do, it's called dafyomi. So we do a page a day. So every seven and a half years, you're back to where you were seven and a half years ago. So if it looks a little familiar, I probably had it really clear. If it looks like I never saw it before in my life, I said, what happened? Maybe I didn't have it so clear last time. It just didn't go into my brain so well. Or just perhaps I forgot, which is probably more likely. Um, and one last thing on this um, patience idea. There was a very famous teacher in the Gemara. His name was Rev Pereda. Rev Pereda had a student that, I don't know, maybe his brain was like rock. I have no idea. This Rev Pereda would teach him something 400 times. When it was whatever the topic was, every day, whatever he studied with his student, he had to go over it and over it and over it 400 times. One time, after um, 400 times, the student still didn't get it. Now, this reprieve didn't understand. Every day you figure it out after 400 times. What happened today? So the student actually had the answer. He says, you know, every day I know you have patience for me. But today, I felt like you're in a rush to go somewhere. And her prayed to us. He did have an appointment. He says, I felt like you had to go somewhere and you didn't have patience for me. It was a feeling, which I do. So I prayed to sat down, took off his hat, and said, I'm so sorry. Uh, my fault? Let's start again. And he taught it another 400 times. And the student got it. Now, the Talmud talks about the great reward. They offered her, prayed a choice. Either your whole uh, generation will uh, go to the world to come in your honor, or you can live another 400 years. So don't think you lost out on all the time spent um, teaching. He took the offer for the um, world to come for his uh, generation. So that's, that's the idea. We must have patience. Now, by the way, that really leads into another concept, and that is as long as I have patience, I don't get angry. Many times, getting angry is because I don't have... Getting angry is because I don't have patience. When I don't have patience for you, so uh, you're just taking too long and it's not moving along and how come you're not understanding and I explained it already, that lack of patience leads to anger. Anger takes away from my ability to study Torah. It's amazing. Um, The great Moses... Um, we find when he gets angry, he forgets he forgets um, laws in the Torah. He gets angry at, at Aaron's children because they uh, they allowed a certain sacrifice to get burnt. He forgot the law. The army comes back and they have uh, they have uh, the Jewish girls. They have the Mijani girls with them. He gets angry. He gets angry. Forgets the law. And Aaron's son has to teach the law. So getting angry actually causes me to forget my brain doesn't work when I'm angry. That's anyways all the time true. That if you get angry at somebody, you got to take a step back because you will never do something good when you're angry. 
And that's even the story with the frogs. When the Egyptians, the Mitzrayim, were hitting the frogs, every time they hit a frog, the frog doubled. So stop. And they won't double anymore. But no, they got angry. The brain shut off. Okay, let's try to get through one more because I know time is ticking. And that's a good heart. A good heart means, in this case, a generous attitude of kindness and benevolence. Meaning, if a student sees somebody who's better than him, is smarter than him, so what, what does the student do? Do you tear the guy down so you're better? That's not going to help you learn. That's just going to knock down the other guy. When it comes to Torah study, you must have a good heart. Right? And by the way, and the idea of kindness, benevolence, good heart, what does that mean? That when I teach others, right, a lot of times there is no reward. Yes, in the world to come, I'm going to get rewarded. But I'm not really getting paid anything because I took the time to explain to a concept that you didn't understand. So you want to teach, you want to understand it's a certain attitude that a person needs to have when it comes to Torah. So we've gotten through 22 of the, uh, of the ways to acquire Torah. You're going to have to look up the Mishnah and, I guess, figure out the rest for yourself. And I hear the music. I wasn't sure if I heard the music. But I do hear the music. So the music is playing. So that means that uh, we got to say goodbye for now. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsored listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our, my wonderful production team. We have David and Cisco in the back. I hope I've listened food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRS Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. Yeah.